I guess the big question that I have today, or does everybody have a election burnout? We probably all say amen to that. It seems like the whole country is suffering from one big political tick. You know what a tick is? There are motor ticks, you know, there are voluntary movements. There are vocal ticks, voluntary sounds that come out. I am adding politics to that. Poly from the Latin meaning many. Many ticks. And these ticks have seemingly caused good, rational people to lose their mind. If I see one more post about anybody on Facebook, I, I think I'm going to, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to blow Facebook up. I'm just going to find a way of doing it so that no one ever gets on again. These politics cause uncontrollable words and actions, and, and people seem to lose control of their of their voice, they lose control of their sanity, and I think I've even seen some people start to lose their faith because of these ticks. Because of allowing a political system, a broken political system, affect their faith. And that's not what I heard here this morning. And I, this is why I think it fits. Because God does not want us to be subject to politics. To things that cause us to have strange movements or strange words come out of our being that do not reflect His kingdom. That do not reflect His heart, what He thinks about us, what He thinks about our future. See, because I believe when these politics happen, what they do to us, they, give, they, they shorten our, our perspective to a four-year or to our eight-year perspective. And we live in a kingdom perspective that is eternal. See, when we subject ourselves to, oh, I just got to get through the next four years, or, or God forbid if that person gets elected again another four years, eight years, when we limit it to an eight-year or four-year perspective, we are not seeing the way the kingdom, the way God wants us to see it. And we become subject to those viewpoints. And they start to rule our heart. And they start to rule our opinions and our attitudes and the words that come out of our mouths and the things that we actually say that we believe. They change. How do I know that? Because I've heard some silly things come out of Christians' mouths. If so-and-so gets elected, we're doomed. What? I've actually heard people say that. We're doomed. If this certain person gets elected, we are doomed. The political process is going to completely fail. We'll lose all our freedoms. We'll, we will no longer be able to practice Christianity in this country. We're just doomed. Really? If indeed those things happen, and I'm not saying they couldn't. They, they certainly could happen. They're happening in other countries. But does that mean we're doomed? 
Is God sovereign or is he not? He is sovereign. He will always, but no matter what, and he will always be sovereign. In Daniel 2, 21, it says this, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. It goes on to say in Daniel that, that God reveals the deep things and that he knows what hides in the darkness. That sounds pretty sovereign to me. He controls the times. He controls the seasons. He controls kingdoms. He sets them up. He removes them. He reveals hidden things. And he knows what's in the dark. That is sovereignty to the max. So my whole question today is, if God is sovereign, if he knows what's in the dark places, why says he knows? Because he is light. He is surrounded by light. So if he is surrounded by light, and because of that, he reveals the things that are in secret, and he reveals the things that are in the dark. He sets up kings. He sets up kingdoms. He removes them as his will. He knows the, the, all of eternity. Then why do we allow ourselves to be afraid of a political outcome? We might suffer in process. People are afraid of that. Yeah, because we're human. I'm not berating anybody for having these fears, but what I'm saying as Christians, as sons and daughters of the Most High, we un- should understand this whole thing a little better. And I think there is a direct response to this. And it goes beyond voting for someone. Only God can make America great again. Not the president, not the Congress, not the Supreme Court, not the military, not some kind of great economic plan, not a third party candidate, not some grassroots movement. Only God can make America great again. And here's the other point to this. It is God's version and God's vision of greatness that matters. Okay? I have a great vision for America, okay? It involves my bank account being really secure. Okay? That's, what, that's my vision. I mean, that's why I want America to be great again. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm human. I want my bank account to be, I want my borders to be secure. I want to have a great army. I want to, you know, want uh, all the policies that I think are the best for this country to be invoked and voted on and implemented. Yes, that's my vision of a great America, but it is not his. So in order for God to make America great again, it has to be defined by him what greatness is. And you guys described some of that greatness just a little while ago that people begin to understand who they are in Jesus Christ. Because when people believe, when sons and daughters actually believe who they are in Jesus Christ, they become free. And when they become free, they'll go and do whatever God asked them to do, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right there. That's how God makes America great again. Now, it may be reflected in our pocketbooks. Yes, hopefully so. It might be reflected in policies that that protect the unborn. I pray that it is so. I'm telling you, it can't happen unless the church comes and be the church in this country. That's how America becomes great again. No man can do it. No army can do it. No policy can do it. Only God. And so when you express those wonderful thoughts this morning that that, that you're thinking about and and wrestling with even and, and, and wondering about, God is stirring something inside of you to make you free, to make you really believe what he says about you and about what this wonderful word says about you because there is word upon word that tells you 
how powerful you really are because of him. This is how America becomes great again. It's God's version, God's vision of greatness. And that's the gospel. See, he didn't send a policy. He didn't send a candidate. He sent Jesus Christ a Messiah because that's what the world needed. It didn't need a policy. It needed Jesus. It needed redemption. It needed restoration. And the only way that could be done was through the blood of Jesus Christ. We get to live in a free country, so we get to vote, and we should. We should exercise that vote every chance that we get. We should turn the voting booth into a prayer closet, an extension of our prayer closet. Heaven knows we need that. If you would, just turn to Jeremiah 29.7. We get the word politics from Aristotle. Aristotle wrote a series of books called the Politica. And that word actually means the affairs of the cities. The affairs of the cities. I don't know what it means now, but it certainly doesn't mean that. Three years ago, I got to do the invocation over the Chamber of Commerce meeting. I read this scripture over them first. But seek the welfare of the city I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The beauty of the scripture is, is in the context of this whole passage. Israel is in exile. They have been taken from their land, placed in another country, Babylon, and God tells them, you're going to be here for 70 years. Their political outlook is not very good right now. They are occupied by a foreign country. But God tells them to do something very important during this time. And the whole thing he says, before that, he says, I want you to build houses and live in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat the produce. I want you to take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and, and give your daughters in marriage that they might bear sons and daughters multiply there and do not decrease. In the midst of occupation, I want you to live as if you're free. In a land where you think you have no rights, I want you to live like you have rights. I want you to increase. Don't you dare decrease. Don't you neglect your influence. So much so that I want you to seek the welfare of the city. That word seek means to go after something with a vengeance, but in a worship attitude. I want you to seek the welfare of the city. I want you to go after it with everything that you have. And I want you to worship me while you're doing it. Some of the translations says to seek the peace of the city. And there's shalom for there. And shalom, we've talked many times about it. The word shalom means so many beautiful things. It means wholeness. It means full of health. It means prosperity. It means peace. And it also means nothing is broken. I want you to live in this land. I want you to seek its peace as if nothing is broken. This is a kingdom mindset that he's asking us to do. You express some of it. If I'm righteous in Jesus Christ, I am not broken. I'm whole. If I'm a son or daughter of the Most High, I have rights and privileges that go beyond any kind of government that rules over me. I might be in exile, but I'm not supposed to live like I am in exile. I'm supposed to live as if I'm free. Which is to say is the government, although it may impose certain things on me, cannot dictate the way I live. Because it's a choice to live as a son or daughter of the Most High. I want you to increase because when my kingdom increases, you increase. I love that. First Timothy Chapter 2. I think there are just three things to get rid of, uh, help us get rid of politics. I think we need to pray and fast for our nation. Wednesday nights we have a prayer meeting in our church office. 
Uh, you don't have to come to that in order to pray and fast for our nation, but I would urge you to maybe to come and join us. But that's essentially what we've been doing for an hour every Wednesday, a little bit more than an hour. It's just to pray for our nation. Just pray for our nation. Um, but you can certainly do that at home, but I just encourage you to come out if you can. Next, not next Sunday, on November the 6th, we'll do a prayer walk in front of the town hall again. So keep that in your mind. Pray for that. These are important moments that we can pray and fast for for our city together. I think uh, we need to realize that we vote for kingdom principles, not a political party. And we vote for kingdom principles, not a political party. I think the days that we just blow across party lines is gone. There's just... There's just so many few leaders that will actually stand up for biblical, biblical principles. And we need to seek them out. And we need to vote that way. That will help you. Passage we're about to read, I think, kind of reflects all these things. But the third one, I believe, is that we need to engage, not enrage the city. Engage, but not enrage the city. So, Second Timothy. How do we do this? Way right above this chapter, in my Bible, it says to pray for all people. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Not just my political party, not the people I like, but for all people. For kings and all who are in high places, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly. Dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. Talking about the gospel. First of all, that I urge that all supplications, praying about our needs, things that we need, things that we're afraid of, things that we're concerned about, bring them for me. Right? And be considerate of the other people's, the people that you, that you know, of their needs, the things that, that frighten them. Prayers. That Greek word actually is just... Beautiful. It means worship words. Worship words. And the word intercessors here means to align yourself with. And this is talking about the heart of God here. That we align ourselves with the heart of God. And thanksgiving, the Greek word means grateful words. So this is a blend of worship words and grateful words with presenting God our needs, the things that worry us, the things that concern us, the things that that may even frighten us. We bring all these things. And then in intercession, we align ourselves with the heart of God in order to pray these things for all people. And God says that, you know what? This is a good thing. That we pray for all our leaders, for kings and those in high positions. And it is okay to pray for a peaceful life. There's nothing wrong with praying for, for the outcome to, so that we can live in a peaceful land. We should pray for the peace of our land for High Park, for Dutchess County, for New York State, and for this country. We should pray for shalom peace because here's what happens. If shalom peace means that nothing is broken, it means that people are being healed and restored to the way that God wants them to be, to become sons and daughters. And if there are more people who are sons and daughters, then indeed this country would be more, because we have more people living in the kingdom way. This is one of the reasons why we need to pray. Early in the verse, he, he's charging Timothy, and he says this to Timothy. He says, uh, I want you to wage the good warfare. He says, this is a fight. This is a fight you're in. I feel like I'm in a fight. I'm sure you do. 
Everything about our faith is being challenged by almost everything that we see or read or hear. And then when you start to mention your faith into the context of these discussions, it usually gets ridiculed or put down or you get called some kind of phobe. Just fill in the blank report. We are waging good warfare when, when we submit all these things to the king, our only king, who is the only one that can make America great again. Friday afternoon, Pastor Murray and I had, had lunch together. We get together often and just to hang out. We're, we're, our, our friendship is growing and it's wonderful. Uh, we pray for each other every Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's just a really cool friendship that we have. And so we got together just to catch up and just have some time together. And there was a waitress, of course, because you're in a diner and people have got to wait on you. So, of course, there's a waitress. There was a waitress who came over. She noticed all. She goes, oh, I like all your leather stuff. And we got into a conversation about it and things like that. And so we were just, every time she came by, we had a little bit of more of a conversation. She brought us our food. And I, I said to her, I said, look, we're about to pray. Is there anything that we could pray for you? And, and she, she was kind of taken aback and... Uh, wow, I haven't prayed in such a long time and uh, there's so many things to pray for. And I said, can you maybe just center on one thing? Is there one thing that you'd like to pray for? She goes, yeah. She goes, and she just kind of paused. She looked down at her feet. She goes, would you pray that God would reveal himself to me? You think God will answer that prayer? Yeah. And so we did. We, we just said a short prayer. She bowed her head and, 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 and just was you know, like really close to us. And, uh, and then, you know, just the rest of the meal that went on, you know, Mitch and I just having a great time of fellowship. That's how we engage our culture. Okay. That's how we seek the peace of our culture. This is how we bring light into our culture. It's not about hitting someone over the head. It's by revealing God's love in every opportunity that we get. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It just can be just a quick, hey, we're going to pray for you. A lot of people say, no, I'm good. I want to say, no, there's none that is good, but that's not a good <laughs> That's really not. That's not what it's about. I know some people would do that. But I don't usually eat with them anymore. Uh, but anyway, so... <laughs> um, but here's the thing. When we talk about engaging our culture, um, we also... We, th- we think it has to be something, you know, planned. It has to be something that we have, like, 14 tracks on us, you know, a couple Bibles, and, you know, we're just ready just to give them the whole plan of salvation right away. And I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that. It could just be asking someone, can we pray for you? That is God's kindness. That is engaging our culture, not enraging our culture. Let's start showing the culture what we truly believe about ourselves by the way we love them. See, that's going to make a difference. Can we believe and show people that even if our candidate doesn't get elected, whoever our candidate may be, and can we just believe that God is still sovereign no matter what and live that way so that when the world looks at us, 
they don't see a blankophobe. They see someone who is truly a set-free son of God, a son, a daughter of, of God, and wants to know why we are walking in shalom peace. Because that's what's going to make the difference. It's not that we know the Constitution forwards and backwards and can, and can give political ar- arguments about why you know, we have to stand up. And look, and I love the Constitution of the United States. Okay, I think it's a great document. I'm not saying anything against it, but there's no salvation in it. Someday that document will pass away. It will turn to dust. His word never fades away. Never fades away. That is what we live by. That is what we live by. I just want to leave you with three scriptures that I think if you would pray, pray these scriptures uh, in your prayer classes, in your, in your quiet time, I, I think these could be really powerful moments over the next, you know, it's like, what, less than two weeks away or whatever the election is. And we're going to need more prayer after the election than we're actually needing <laughs> just because, Okay. But these are three things I think God gave me that I think that could, that could help us all. First one is in 1 Kings 8.28. Kings. Yeah, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. We need to pray for mercy for our nation. Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. 1 Kings 8.28. Okay. Second one is Isaiah 33.6. Isaiah 33.6. Talking about God. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Hmm. There's a lot right in there, right? And Psalm 22:28. Psalm 22:28. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over nations. Only God can make America great again. And let us, let us bow down to his vision and his version of what greatness means. Right? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your expression of kingdom principles, of kingdom life, and how you want us to walk in a kingdom and not in a democracy or a republic, but in a kingdom that is holy, that is righteous brings life to people. So, Father, we want to walk in your kingdom. We want to believe in your principles. We want to live as sons and daughters that are free and will live like they're free no matter if they live in a land of captivity. And even if we are further exiled into this nation, Father, we would want to live as we're free people because we are. So we pray for that. We pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom and knowledge as your word has promised to give us. As we uh, pray about who to vote for and what to vote for and how to exercise this gift of, uh, that we've gotten, but we want to exercise it according to your will and not ours. So we ask for that. We ask for that kind of wisdom, that kind of direction. And we ask for your mercy, too. Have mercy on our country. Have mercy on our leaders. You once caused a king to eat grass for seven years because of their pride. 
Father, we pray for the pride of our leaders. That you would ask them to, to humble themselves. And I pray that they will obey. And they will humble themselves and seek your face. So we pray for the salvation of our leaders. We ask that you would redeem them and restore them to right relationship with you. We pray, that, Father, that they will accept Messiah as King. And whoever they are and whatever policies they may hold to, we pray that they would submit these policies to you. And that all these things would, would flow through your blood that you cover us with. Thank you for making us righteous. Thank you for making us clean. Thank you for making us sons and daughters. We are free because of it. So I pray for all of us that as we walk from this place today, that we would remember who we bow to. We only bow to one king, and that is you. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.